Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Man, I, I love I love Ronnie, I love Mason. They, it is a joy to serve alongside those guys. Uh, before I get going up, uh, uh, last time I was in, in front of you guys or a bunch of... Remember we had a Saturday morning thing over in the block? Sometime last year, a bunch of you guys remember that and got up early. And I made fun of somebody for not coming to early morning meetings and stepped off stage and somebody said, hey, where you been? <laughs> hey, I just want you to know that shamed me. I've been going to Saturday morning uh, man challenge now for several months and by gummies, I'm grateful I did. I have fallen in love with the guys that are at my table and, and it's just good to just kind of come and sit and just be a part of a group. Because uh, oftentimes when you're uh, a guy on staff like uh, we are, every time you walk into a room, somebody expects you to do something, you know, answer a question or, you know, you're there to teach or whatever. And it's just awesome to sit down with a bunch of guys around a table and just uh, be me and talk about Jesus. So with, with your permission, I'm going to continue that that trend this morning. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and, and be one of you guys as well, okay? Um, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Um, I, let me just tell you a couple things. Uh, some of you guys don't uh, know me and haven't been around. I, I was not a Bible college guy. I didn't go to some seminary and, and suddenly ended up being able to be, uh, you know, an executive pastor on this staff. I, I uh, worked in the business world for a long time and, and uh, I always tell people, you guys have heard me speak, you've heard me say this because it's just true. I, I wasn't a very good businessman. I survived made it, and, uh, but I learned a lot along the way and, and knew 25 years before I stepped into full-time role here that, that I wanted to be in full-time Christian vocational work, but you know God just never seemed to open up that door, so I just stayed faithful right where I was, and, and uh, every time the doors were open at the church, I served and, and, and loved every minute of it, and, and uh, uh, one day God came knocking and it was just such an easy uh, yes it was easy just to open the door and just kind of walk in there and I uh, honestly uh, am just so grateful that I get to do what I do and and um, grateful that I get to serve uh, you guys and in the way that I get to but I just I can't believe I get to do this so but I, I was just a uh, you know working out there in the business world and, and got called in so um I always like to tell people that, uh, two reasons why, because normally there are a lot of folks that are struggling with that, their call. They think, you know, how'd you go from here to here? Can we sit down and chat? So I, I do talk to people about that on occasion. I love telling that story. Um, uh, but the other thing is, is that ho- hopefully, uh, to also say with a big family I've got and all those responsibilities and all the things that I've done prior to coming on staff is that uh, it helps me to relate with kind of what's going on in your worlds uh, as well because a lot of you guys put in a lot of extra time you don't get paid for to come here and do and to serve and all those things and so you're just it's it's an add-on for you and so just really grateful uh, that you do that and want to encourage you because I get to talk today about serving and uh, 
Now, that's, when they gave me the topic, I thought, oh, that's great. <laughs> Who wants to talk about being a servant? Who wants to be a servant? When somebody says, hey, I'm going to be a servant, you know, I, that, that line's kind of short that people just kind of walk in and, and want to be a part of, but yet I find that it's one of the best and one of the greatest kingdom principles, and uh, so we get to walk through that. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to just go ahead and read the scriptural passage, and then we're going to kind of back up, and we're going to walk through it just a little bit and, and talk through it before I turn it over to you guys at your tables. Uh, so uh, we're, uh, the passage today is found in Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Um, and then let's just kind of hop in. So used to be you waited till you heard the pages stop turning, and now there's no pages turning. Everybody's got their phones out and things. I'm assuming you're there, so let's go. Starting in verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So we talk about this concept of being a, a servant. It literally is a word that just sort of strikes either fear or guilt in most of us. Now there's some of you that have what the Apostle Paul called in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, the gift of service. That's what you do naturally. It's it's how you were wired it, when you were born and God was knitting you together in your mother's womb. He said, okay, this one gets the, the, the servant gift. And so it's just as natural as waking up in the morning. But the vast majority of us, it's not what we do naturally. Naturally, our sin nature you know, kind of rises up and we want to be served instead of going out and serving other people. So when we talk about this, I know that there are different levels of kind of where you are on that, on that servant spectrum, but the truth is we're all struggling with it uh, from one, one way or another, unless it is absolutely your gift and it's the way you're wired. And there are a lot of folks that are like that. I am not one of those people. I think I'm trying to make that clear. I really, it's not my first, somebody, you know, you, uh, you're in the kitchen and somebody spills something. I am not the guy that goes and dives for a towel to get that cleaned up. I'm the guy that stands there and says, somebody ought to clean that up. And more often than not, I'm the one dictating who gets to clean it up. So it's not my natural way. And there are other people that, you know, somebody spills something, man, they're all over it. They, they're diving out and getting towels and ripping off their shirt. Let me get that sopped up for you and that kind of thing. It's naturally bent that way. Or they've, maybe they've lived long enough to, to, to train uh, themselves to get in there. When I read scripture, let me tell you one of the things that I'm always looking for. I'm always, you, you know, there's, when you stand up to teach or you do anything uh, with the Bible, one of the things that you're always trying your best to do is not get in the way of the text. In other words, let the Bible talk. Let the Bible say what it needs to say, as opposed to trying to flower it up and, and make it say something that you think it should say or that you think it says. So that's, that's really hard because you also want to add in stories and things that sort of make it even more relevant. Um, but when I look at it, and I'm looking for what is this text actually saying, I look for patterns. What, 
where, where is this text going? In this short pattern, this short text that we have here, I kind of saw a little bit of a pattern that, that we're going to walk through uh, these scripture and we're going to kind of pull out some of these principles. The, and the pattern that I saw is that, first of all, there was a symptom of a problem. There was a symptom of a problem that popped itself up as these guys were walking down the road. And then Jesus identified the real problem. And, and, and by the way, guys, the reason I like these patterns is because it gives us principles that you can kind of operate by. When you're going through life and you have some kind of a struggle and you're wondering, what in the world's going on? Usually there's a symptom of the real problem. We all know that. And that symptom is oftentimes a red herring that the enemy is trying to use to get you distracted. But it's not the real problem. You haven't gotten there yet. And we find that in this, in this passage. There's a symptom of a problem. And Jesus identifies the real problem. And then he gives a solution. And then we get to see the result of that solution. All that stuff happens in that little short passage. And that's kind of how we're going to walk through that. And my prayer is this. My prayer is that here's what I know. We got people in this room that are in the entire spectrum of life. You you know, you got all kinds of things going on. Some of the things that are in this passage are going to be relevant to you and some of the things are not. That's always the case. When you're in a room this large, you got So here's my prayer. My prayer is that you will find yourself somewhere in this passage. Somewhere in that continuum of is there am I is there a symptom here? Is there a problem here? Do I know the solution and have I solved it? And is there now a good result coming somewhere? I, I really want you to be able to, to see that happening. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray again because uh, what I've been praying for lately just to let, it's, uh, is that we live in a world of such great communicators. It's real easy to sit here and get intimidated by those that get to communicate. I don't want to communicate greatly to you. I, I really want to communicate effectively to you. Is that okay? Uh, I, I know it is because everybody knows that's right. But I want to pray that prayer so that I can sort of set my mind and help in you guys as well to focus on what would be effective out of this scripture. Father, thanks. Thanks for your word. Uh, thank you for the simple truth that you want to teach us here. I pray, Father, that what we would see out of this scripture is um, hope. And I pray, Father, that we would see ourselves and see ourselves growing in this uh, ever uh, necessary a trait of being a servant. But Father, I pray that your word goes forth effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's walk through the passage again. We read the entire passage, and now I want to kind of break it down for you guys a little bit. First, I want to start in, in, in verse 33. In verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Symptom number one, there's an argument. Symptom number one, there's an argument. I don't know if you've ever looked at an argument as being symptomatic of something else, but it usually is. I, I, I don't know if, if, you're, if you're like me. And by the way, I am a peacemaker. When I, the, the home I grew up in was kind of volatile, and, and, and you know we argued all the time. My parents between them were married eight times, so I was a lot of moving parts in and out of my home all the time. And so my siblings and I, you know, we, we just yelled at each other. We didn't, we didn't talk calmly. So arguing was a love language in my home. But that arguing was really symptomatic of something else. We argued because we needed to take some sort of a drug to not think about the pain that was going on underneath. So what did we argue about? Whatever. It, it, wouldn't, it didn't matter what we argued about. You wake up morning and say, good morning. No, it's not. It was an argument. And you guys all know people that are kind of like that. I pray and hope that you, that you aren't. But if you are, just know that's symptomatic of something. If, if you're just one of those people or you hang around some of those people that just, you're going to argue, there's going to be strife, there's going to be angst, there's going to be anxiety. Guys, if, anxiety, let me stop there for just a second. Are we nuts or what? 
Of course we are. This world it, it is filled with anxiety, isn't it? It's okay to say yes, because we all are. And the, the more authentic that we are about that, and the more truthful we are about that, the more healing that can come to all of us. So truth of the matter is, this is epidemic, and we all know it. And we all know as well, I think, I, I don't want to presume, but we all know this. Man, social media doesn't help us in this world of anxiety. It's the world of make-believe. You know, let me put my best self out there and snap a picture of it and, and let everybody think that 24-7, this is what my life looks like. Ronnie can talk all day long about being out of diapers. I did the math. Twelve kids, $14,000 worth of pampers. Yeah. I'll be working until I'm 80. We take these pictures and we act like there's not a whole lot going wrong with our lives. And all that does is make us think I've got to aspire to something by comparison of what I'm seeing. And because we have it in our hands and we can access it any area of your life, your marriage, your work, your style, you know, your exercise regimen, doesn't matter. Because you can do that, you're comparing yourself with just a snapshot of someone's perfection for a moment. That raises your anxiety level. I know that because I see the prescription meds that we're doling out. And it's unbelievable how many of them are there. So my whole point with that is angst. There's something deeper. And when you're bringing that type of anxiety into your everyday world, whether it's your family, your workplace, your social life, you're going to have a symptom that's not the real issue. You're going to argue. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have debates. And that's what these guys were doing. They were arguing. So that's the first symptom is that there's an argument. Now, here's the thing. We got all this stuff going on, all these anxieties, for whatever those reasons. I just gave you one small example, and please understand, I know full well there's a lot of reasons for it. I just gave you one example, the, the comparison thing. Jesus said in John 14, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you. And it's always bothered me. Because I don't live a life oftentimes in peace. And so I, it makes me sometimes think, oh man, then I'm must not be living for Jesus. You know, no, that's not it at all. I live in a fallen world. I live in a broken world. I live in a, in a world in, in, with a sinful nature that has it, it automatically wants to fight against that peace that Jesus came to give. Why are we arguing? Romans 12, 18 says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Man, wouldn't that be cool? If it, wouldn't that be cool if that's the way we approach life is to say, hey, I, I'm good. Because here's the thing. I know that when somebody comes at me with some sort of angst or conflict or something, you know what I'm usually thinking? Don't listen to their, don't listen to their words or their accusations. Listen to their heart. What are they really trying to say? Because if you listen long enough, the truth will ultimately kind of emerge. And so that gets us over here to uh, the second part of that, that verse. Jesus said, in, excuse me, going on to verse 34. Jesus said in verse 33, hey, what were you arguing about? Good leader listens, by the way. Jesus knew they were arguing, of course. You know, the kind of arguing they were probably doing is that arguing that kids oftentimes do in the back seat of the car. That whisper arguing. Because we don't want mom and dad to know we're arguing. But we're going to argue. You know, that's, I can see that. That's what they're doing. Hey, 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 look. And Jesus going, oh, great. Here they go again. 
And then Jesus said, hey, what were you guys arguing about? And this next thing they say is really important. The next thing the Bible says, says, but they kept quiet. Well, why did they keep quiet? Busted. Busted. They knew what they were arguing about was not something that Jesus would have said. Yeah, that's a good thing to be arguing about, guys. Let's debate that one. Let's, let's, let's look and see what the Greek says about that word. And let's argue over that. No, he knew that they were arguing about something that he came to ultimately turn upside down and resolve for them. They were, they were guilty of something. Oftentimes, silence is a sign of guilt, isn't it? Somebody asked you just the right question. For those of you who are married, has your wife ever silenced you with a question? Yeah, me too. Just, <laughs> just ask just the right question at the right time. And all of a sudden, it's like, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm guilty. Whatever that might be. Okay, Isn't it funny, too, to me? This, this picture came to my mind. Here's Jesus. These guys are arguing with one another. And Jesus asked them a simple question, and all of a sudden they were quiet. And it reminded me of another time that Jesus spoke and the storm was stilled. Jesus has a way of saying just the right word at the right time, and he takes tumult and makes it peaceful. In this case, that's what he did. He spoke. Jesus spoke the right question, and they became silent. Why? Because he asked a question that he, they knew. They knew. They were hanging around. They knew they had to answer from the heart. Then verse 34, let's keep going on. Because now, see, there's two symptoms that we've seen here. There was arguing, and then the right question was asked, and they got quiet. So there's really something going on that now we've got to take a deeper dive in. Let's look to the real problem here. Okay? Real problems identified in verse 34. But they kept quiet because on the way they argued about who was the greatest. So there you go. There you go. They were arguing who was the greatest. This comparison thing that we do, it's all about one-upsman. And we got to deal with that, guys. We just got to be really, really honest about that. It, it, this is a really, really big deal. Because we in Louisville, we settled a long time ago who the greatest was, right? Because he told us. But isn't that a great picture of what we're really talking about here? That we got to stand on a stage someplace and say, I am the greatest. It really speaks a whole lot to kind of what's going on in our soul. There's a, there's a root argument here. This lack of peace that caused these guys to argue. There is a root element. Uh, there's another time in Scripture where this happens. It's not the same example. There's another time in Scripture. Over and there's, it's in Matthew and it's also in Mark. But I'm going to read to you guys the, the Matthew version of it. Because this one's really funny to me. Because God just surprises me in Scripture sometimes. He just gives us the funniest little pictures. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. says this. says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons kneeling down. She asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. This is really funny to me. When I was in the business world, I used to interview people for a job. If you brought your mama to interview for you, I think that was a disqualifier for the job. So here are these two guys that are hanging out with Jesus, and their mama comes and says to Jesus, Would you give my two boys the best positions, please? Uh, by the way, they can't speak for themselves or they can't really do the job. So I'm just asking you, I'm a mom. I'm bowing down before you to show submission. Would you put my boys in there? I just think that's one of the funniest things. Tip for everybody. Go on a job interview. Don't take your mama. And don't take your wife. <laughs> just go. <laughs> do it yourself. 
I mean, these guys are vying for positions number one and two in the kingdom of Jesus, and they sent their mom to go ask for a job. And here's the deal. They wanted the glory. They wanted the prestige. That's what those guys were arguing about back there. Because there's something inside of all of us. And, and, and I, I run across this in conversations at, over coffee or meals or whatever, and I'm talking to people of any kind. I, I run across this all the time. There's an inherent or an innate fear that just rises up when we don't think we're enough. It, and I think it's one of the secrets of us as guys is that God gave us responsibility for sure as men. And when we compare ourselves to other people, we feel like we don't measure up. And then we got all these other voices that are talking in our ears that are telling us we don't measure up. So what do we do? We're going to go prove that we are enough. And pretty soon that proverbial ladder of success, whatever it is, we all know it gets put against the wrong wall. And we're trying to climb to places that we probably shouldn't have climbed. Because really what we're trying to do is we're trying to fill a hole in our heart that says, I am enough. Please, somebody tell me. I am enough. And if you don't tell me, I'm going to tell you I am the greatest. And if that doesn't work, I might send my mama to tell you. But the fact is, that's what's really going on. I want the glory. One of the prayers that I pray in life oftentimes now, this is really the truth. I pray this because I know who I am and I know what I want. I want you to think I'm a great man of God. That's, that's what I'm on staff to be, isn't it? I, I want you to think I do something good. So my prayer is this, God, please don't let me steal your glory. Because here's what I know. Um, I know that I was put here on earth to bring glory to God, not to me. That, that's why God said in Genesis that we were created to bear his image. We were created to reflect his glory, to show other people him. And when we spend our time trying to prove to everybody it's about, it's about us, that's human nature. That's, that's, that's what happens when we sin. It's really interesting to me as well in that Matthew scripture that when we're talking about James and John's mother, Listen to how that one finishes. It says, when, when the ten heard, remember the two? Mama comes and says, make the two highest in the kingdom with you. And the Bible says, when the ten, because there were 12 disciples, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were indignant because those two guys said, hey, look at me. The other ten got angry. Argument. You guys are asking for something. You're trying to one-up us. You're trying to get ahead of us. You're trying to prove that you have value that we don't have. And the Bible says very clearly, guys, and we know this. It says it in Psalms and Matthew and in James. God opposes proud people, but he gives grace to the humble. So the way up in the kingdom is down. Remember one time I was working for a fellow, uh, started my career right out of college. Went to work for a very small company down in Atlanta and and, uh, man, I was in my 20s. I had a management degree, Mason, from Western Kentucky University. That's right. <laughs> Didn't know anything, but I had a degree. For some reason, when I was 21 years old and graduated from college and had a degree, I thought the world was just waiting on me. How lucky they were. <laughs> Here I come. <laughs> I was humbled very, very quickly. 
in several ways. I'd love to tell you that story sometime because God taught me so much that serves me to this day. And then I get into this company and, and I'm working for this kind of mom and pop organization. And, and I decided that I was smarter than my boss. Anybody else ever done that? Anyone? Thank you. There's one honesty or two. Thank you. Okay, good. I really did. I decided that this guy was just Looney Tunes, and he didn't know what he's talking about. And so I worked harder. I knew more. I studied more. I did all that stuff. And so I started to plot this course. And this course was I was going to start my own company in competition with him. That's what I was going to do because I was, could be more successful than him. Funny thing happened along the way to that journey. And that funny thing was was that what God really sent me to Atlanta to do was to be discipled. And so I started, you know, growing in my Christian faith and all that stuff. And somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit literally convicted me and said, what are you doing? Because my boss was a fellow believer. And he was saying, why are you trying to tear down your fellow believer so you can build yourself up? And I was so convicted by that. I mean, I confessed that to my wife and talked through it and I was scared to death. But the next morning, uh, my boss and his wife were in their office, and I walked in, and I just stopped. I said, hey, I just I want you to know that God convicted me of, of this, and, and I, I am going to drop all of my plans. I, I, I want to work for you, and would you forgive me? Yeah, yeah, I'll forgive you. So let's fast forward a couple years after I did that, because I, I worked, continued to work for him, and then uh, my parents called me up from up here in Louisville and said, we want you to take over the the family business, and so that's what my wife and I chose to do, and as I was going in to tell my boss about that, we went out to breakfast, and I told him, hey, I'm, I'm going to be leaving and going back home, and yeah, it's great, and all that kind of stuff, and he said, hey, man, do you remember that day that you walked in, and you said that you weren't going to go in competition with us? I said, oh, yeah, I remember that, and he said, yeah, I was going to fire you that morning. so grateful that God protected me because he convicted me to serve him rather than demand that I get served. I am not that smart. That was purely a move of, of God. But I just want to say, when that pride rises up and it's triggered because of fear of saying that I've got to prove to the world that I am enough, I just got to say to you guys once again, God made you. In Psalm 139, he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are enough just because of that. And we need to remember that. I don't have to compare myself to all these other people. God made me. Ephesians 2.10, he tells me that he put things in me so I could do good works that he prepared in advance for me to do. God loved me enough to uniquely gift me. Some have gifts of service. Some have gifts of generosity. Some have gifts of administration. So there's all these gifts that are given in Romans chapter 12. And he uniquely put each one of them in so we can serve other people to build them up instead of us demanding our way and arguing along the road who's the greatest. So Jesus says, ah, uh, Verse 35, I'm going to solve this problem for you guys. He says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That's the upside down way of Jesus. You've heard that talked about 
a whole lot. And the question that I have for you, kind of in your heart, when you read something like that, who wants to be servant of all? And the answer is, in our natural state, in our un-Christian striving state, no one wants to be servant of all. We want to be served by all. The Bible says that Jesus came to serve all. So he gave us a roadway, and here's what, that, here's what he said. He sat down, he said, anyone who wants to be first must be last. Servant of all. Take a quick Greek lesson real quick. That word servant there is the Greek word diakonos. And here's what it means. It means minister, servant. It's where we get the word deacon from. The term diakonos emphasizes the individual attention given in our service of another and gives a note of affection or devotion. Now, I love that. And here's why. Because a lot of you, you say, I know I need to be a better servant. So you're going to make a list of things you can do to serve. And you're going to check the box. I served, I served, I served. But the real definition of this word servant says you're going to do it with affection for another. The real word diakonos here really means that what you're doing is taking the, taking the, view, not, taking the, 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 the spotlight off of yourself and what I want. And sometimes we serve, guys. Why? Because we want the glory. I want to be known as a servant. So don't miss this. Jesus is not saying the act of service. He's talking about the heart of a servant who takes his eyes off of himself to be noticed and instead serves other people because... He wants their lives to be enriched. Affection and devotion for other people. That's what a true servant does. They do it because they want to see this other person that they're serving is, is being lifted up. So being a servant requires that you look to the needs of others with affection and devotion for them and serve them so that they can become more, so that their lives can be enriched, so you can disappear. Instead of saying, I am the greatest, you can help others become the greatest. That's the life of a servant, diakonos. And guys, that can't come without utter, total transformation. It's not natural. Jesus is the one who led the way for us. Arguably, God the Father led the way by providing us with Jesus. One of the things that helps me continue to grow in my Christian faith is never ever leaving the scene of the cross. Because that's where it all changed. We were lost. God created us to bear His image. God created us so that we could be a reflection of His glory to the world. And God loved us so much that He didn't force His love upon us, but gave us a choice to love Him back and to be obedient to Him. And because He loved us that way, we could choose, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to reflect your glory, or we could choose not to. And unfortunately, we chose not to. And God resists proud people who choose not to. And God's resistance entered the world, if you will. We call that sin. And now we live under that curse because we were focused on ourselves. And then God said, that's okay. I loved you enough. I made a plan for you because you chose wrong. You're going to have all this striving. You're going to have all this tumult. You're going to have all these problems in the world. 
and that, that pressure is going to come at you. I want you to know something. I still love you, and I love you enough that I'm making a way for you if you'll just accept that way. And that way was he sacrificially gave his son Jesus so Jesus could bear those sins for us. And Jesus bared it all on a cross for us. And he died so that all of those sins were taken upon him. You all know this story for the most part. I know that. But the way we continue to grow and give and share is to never forget this. Because without that, we just got up early and wasted our time this morning. Jesus bore those things on that cross for us, and he died. So we don't have to. And here's the cool part. He really did raise from the dead. That is a historically proven fact. He did not lay in the grave. And when he did that, he conquered all of that sin. There is no more sting in death for us. And all we have to do is say, take the spotlight off of me and put it back where it belongs. God, do not let me steal your glory. Let me give it to you. And you give it to him. And I'd love to tell you that after that, we all know this, that suddenly life is all about lollipops and rainbows. No, it's not. What Jesus says now is that I am going to be with you through all of those things. And I will provide a way back to the Father. As you go through those things. So we no longer have to do this alone. But we can do it in Christ. And we can live with him forever. Because one day there will be no more tears. One day. All this striving ceases. When we're in Christ. And in order for you and I to become the diakonos. That we need to be. Don't ever forget that cross. It really did happen. You know, our job is very hard, guys, to die to ourselves so that others can live. That Matthew narrative where Mama wanted her boys to be, here's the way that one ends. It's the same lesson Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. It says, whoever wants to, be, to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. That's Jesus. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the gospel. That's what he came to do. Hey, let me tell you something. This dying to self so that others can live thing that Jesus led the way in. Can I tell you that that works in every single relationship that you've got. And those arguments and that striving, they all go away if we can just learn to, to implement this principle of serving. Husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. You got strife in your marriage? I just wonder. I just wonder how many of us, if we would just die to ourselves and let our brides flourish and become radiant by the washing of the word that the Bible tells, if we just lived for them instead of us making them live for us. Men, let us not be men that objectify our wives for them to just become a, a objects of what we desire in them. Let us not serve our wives so that they in return will give us what we want. Let us not be those men. Let us be men who die to ourselves so that our wives can live. Let us be fathers that will die to ourselves so our children can flourish and can live out all the things that God put in them when he was knitting them together in their mother's womb. All this works. Let us not be the types of co-workers that tear down other people so we can climb the ladder of success. Let us be the kind that serve others so they can be successful. 
Let those be the marks of us as servants, guys. Let us not be men that check the boxes of serving, but let us be men that allow the gospel to transform our hearts so that we can be true diakonos servants. In Mark chapter 9, I finish up here in verses 36 and 37. It says this. Here's the result. He, he took a little child when he placed among, whom he had placed among them, and he took that child on his arms and he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus took the most vulnerable among that crowd and used that child as a lesson for them because the true servant serves those who cannot serve himself. True servant looks for those opportunities to serve when there's nothing in return for them. There is no quid pro quo. I'm doing this because that's who Jesus wants me to be. And that's why this is such a hard lesson for us. We have to stop looking at the externalities of our Instagrams and our Facebooks and our social medias, our Twitters and all that, and comparing ourselves to that. What we have to compare ourselves to is the transforming power of Jesus from who I used to be on the other side of the cross and who I am now. He made me a unique individual, and that cross makes the difference. So when we find ourselves so focused on ourselves and are striving to be number one, and we find ourselves arguing with others over that fact and not loving each other, and don't forget, Christians, that they'll know we're Christians by the way we love one another. We need to turn our eyes and our hearts on serving others like Jesus did and like we should do. Let me pray. Father, thanks for sending your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you for giving us that great example. And Father, my prayer is that in these words we find hope because here's what we know. We know that we need to do this, but we also know that our hearts, Father, are not to naturally do this. But our hope is in the work that Jesus has already done. Would you give us the grace to humble ourselves enough to submit to Jesus and say, would you do the rest that I can't do? You've already paid the price. Would you allow us to enter into that rest, to that peace that you left us? Because you did the work and receive the joy of being able to know we are all part of that transformation process and we're getting there. Just asking you today, would you allow us to become those diakonos servants? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.